friends. Hi. Welcome to welcome, welcome. the seventh episode of the Sonic Podcast. You are joined today by your fearless leaders, Kyle and Liz. And we have a very, very special guest host with us today, Mr. Nick Gordon. Nick, thanks for joining us. It's been my pleasure to be here already, even in this first 20 seconds. Wow. <laughs> we've made it, uh, we've, we've warmed it up for you. Jump on in. Yeah. The water's fine. It. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> big fan of the show. Big fan of you both. And, uh, you know, overjoyed to be here today with you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, and thanks Sweet for of you. taking time out of your um, Lowe's and home improvement filled Saturday to hang with us. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, is everybody is anybody drinking? Because I'm drinking. Oh, I've man. got a seltzer here. A seltzer, okay, all right. That's so New York of you. Yeah. Um, I don't know what this says about my Corona journey right now, but I have moved on to decaf black tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm searching within my soul to figure out what that means. I haven't found an answer yet, but I think it means I'm still resting, <laughs> like hardcore resting. It's good. In good. the sort of story arc, uh, <laughs> that feels like, you know, the right side of the arc, the 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 downside. So I'm hoping I'm hoping there's That's a true. there's a rebound coming your way. I did yeah, get I'm a hangover. <laughs> I think that part's fine. It's just Nick, full disclosure, I had a hangover from an episode that we taped like three days ago. So because we're sitting here taping this on the phone, I'm still mystified as to how I was able to consume that much just sitting at home in my bed. But that's, that's for another episode, maybe. Liz, yesterday you said that you were... Um trying some some new uh fashion out with your podcasting oh yeah is there is there anything yeah, to share today today's version is christmas pajamas which i slept in and are still wearing now i love that journey for you thank you well friends nick tell us a little bit about you where are you from? What's your background? Who are you? Yeah, well, sure. Well, I'm in Aries. And, uh, I love that you started out with the astrological sign. That is becoming a theme of this podcast. That was the right move. We did not tell him to say that, by the way. We really didn't. Yeah. No, it came out fresh. Uh, I'm originally from St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, spent the years in Lawrence, Kansas, and then I've been a, a Brooklynite for the last uh, 19 years. Um, and uh, I've augmented my New York uh, residency with a house in the Catskills, uh, where I am currently uh, residing during the Rona. And this um, is a pretty so new. This is a pretty new purchase for you, right? You're kind of still. Fixing stuff up yeah. and making it yours. Yeah, I bought the house in December, and uh, so I was not preparing to uh, to be 
buying a dormicile in which to live out the final days of the earth. Um, but it's, it's proven to be a very fortuitous real estate purchase. And uh, it's been amazing in that uh, I've been, you know, sheltering at home, but my home is much larger than my Brooklyn apartment. And I have some acreage where I can, you know, ruminate about and uh, with my thoughts and, uh, you know, a, a whiskey back time and uh, enjoy the outside. And uh, so it's been pretty amazing. Um, and I've been able to work from home. Uh, and I'm an introvert, so uh, being at home for long stretches of time anyway is joyful to me. And uh, so it's been, uh, as far as pandemics go, it's been pretty good for me. You know, I've been uh, enjoying it for the most part. Um, and uh, yeah, as for the as for my normal life outside of the uh, pandemic, um, I make my living in the music industry and. Uh, been the only career I've ever known uh, for the last uh, 25 years. Incredibly. Um, and uh, I have mostly worked in the recorded music side of the business um, in, uh, in the capacities of a music distributor, um, as well as working for record labels and uh, in general focused on the releasing and marketing of recorded music and the distribution thereof, um, which is a part of the business that I like quite a bit. What about that particular part of the industry speaks to you so highly? Well, I like um, I like records a lot, and um, and I feel like. Uh, I enjoy the, the experience of listening to music, and I enjoy the tangible element of creating uh, music in, in the sense of the actual production of albums. And uh, and I don't know, you know, it just uh, I got I got into it. I fell into it in a sense when I was in college. I got an internship at a record label, and I had always been fascinated by the little logos on the backs of albums and um, wanted to understand what they did. And uh, as I learned more about what record labels do, I thought they were the coolest thing in the world, um, being this kind of community hub for, um, for artists and uh, a, um, a sort of nucleus of the, the artist uh, fan experience. And, um, uh, and once I started doing it, I just had uh, absolutely no desire to stop. And uh, getting into distribution was sort of a byproduct of starting to work for a record label. The label I started working for got acquired by a distributor. And um, so in the town of Kansas City, Missouri, um, I started working for a music distributor while still in college. And um, I loved it. Um, and once I got into distribution, I realized it was fun in the sense that there's a ton of variety. Um, you're constantly um, you're constantly getting new music um, sent to you. And um, my time with any particular album um, is pretty short, and I like the variety of that. So um, that's been my experience with distribution, and. Um, 
you know, as the business has changed, um, distribution is constantly changing. And so I find it to be a place in the business that is, um, has a lot of change and variety. And um, I really like change and variety. Yeah, I think, I think I'm, um, I've been really excited about since we set this up about having you on because you've had a lot of different experiences and what we're trying to do here as much as possible is tell those stories. Cause I think, um, for younger musicians, um, or, or younger, you know, future m- music industry folk understanding kind of the path is so important. And I think you've had such a interesting path. So let's take it back for a second to the beginnings of Nick Gordon. Um, yeah. How did you get into music? I know you're a drummer. Did that start your musical kind of life or did you take that up later in life? Like how, how did you fall into music originally? What was that path like? Yeah. I, I started as a drummer in the, in the way that many people find an instrument in elementary school and I went to this this cool magnet school that um that, that still had a band program and uh and this was uh you know the early 80s or the mid 80s by the time I guess I was 11 and um you know I was asked to pick an instrument and I picked drums for no real reason um it just kind of uh looked cool to me and um I found it to be the first thing in my life that came easy to me that I was good at and um it very quickly um you know became my identity and um I was extremely blessed to um when I went into uh, middle school um to have a band director who was with me from junior high from seventh grade all the way to twelfth grade and he was an exceptional educator and uh really a um he was also a drummer um and he um he was a disciplinarian and a a real educator with a great love of jazz and um just got how to got how to get to students and to people and um he got to know me um over the years and um he when I was in 10th grade, I think, um, he started talking to people about careers and, uh, and he said that, uh, he thought I could be great at the business side of music. Um, just having gotten to know me and my brain and the things that I'm interested in. And, um, and it, uh, it really made sense to me. And, um, to be honest, it was the first thing that I ever thought about as far as, a potential career and I really did not enjoy school um, other than band and, and, a, and a couple other courses and uh, so for me it seemed like the the coolest thing I could possibly do is to work in music and I uh, I focused on drumming um, you know and still do um, throughout my uh, early 20s as I went to college I went away to college at Lawrence Kansas um, really with the intention of getting in a band, dropping out of school and touring, being a touring drummer. Um, and um, yeah, that was my, yeah, that was my first sort of plan. Um, even the dropping out of school part, not just not going to school, but literally dropping out part. Um, 
And um, I played in, in some pretty serious college bands that, you know, gigged and stuff. And, um, and I loved it. And then I was playing in this band as a drummer. And the guitar player was an intern at this record label. And he said, he told me about it. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And so I got an internship at this record label. And um, there was a couple interns and one full-time employee. And the full-time employee was a senior in college. And um, basically, they just told me that I could... It was my job to learn whatever I wanted and I could read all the mail and all the questions that I asked would be answered. And I was just really ambitious and really wanted to do it. And so I read through every, I mean, it's clearly the 90s, I read mail, you know, to get a sense of what the business correspondence was like. For all you kids the, out there, you know, the birth. <laughs> mail yeah. used to Before, show up from a yes. person who would deliver it to your house. I know. We had these big filing cabinets where I would go through invoices and I learned about uh, making CDs and vinyl and the production process. And I learned about music distributors and the weirdness of them. And, uh, and I started working with um, a, a couple of the bands that we had signed, one of which was this band called Billy Goat. And, um, and, uh, Amazingly, uh, the guy who had the full-time job at the label, he graduated, and I was the guy, and the owners were like, hey, you want to be the label manager now? And I was like, okay. Like, and so it started out as a part-time job, and, um, and I loved it. And, I, and the, the label, like I said, had this band called Billy Goat, who is this serious touring machine. Um, and they toured, you know, 300, 325 days a year. Um, and and we didn't have a full-time publicist. And so I did everything. I got publicity for the band. I worked with their agent and their managers to get promo materials made. I worked directly with the group. I helped them solve problems. Um, the, the drummer of the group is this guy called Mike Dillon, who is a still, close, a still a close friend and hero of mine. And um, I learned everything about the business because they were this sort of microcosm of it. They sold records. They toured their asses off. They got press, both regional and national. They had been signed to a major label and gotten dropped. And so I, I learned what the value was of an independent label versus a major and, and how that can impact a band, being on a major and getting dropped from one. Um, I learned about how to handle the nuances of dealing with artists. Um, the band at that time was, uh, they were a heavy partying band. Um, and, um, Mike himself at that time was uh, addicted to heroin and, um, and years later and has been for the last, you know, 20 years clean. Um, but it was a really interesting relationship for me. And I was talking to this guy multiple times a day and, um, you know, from the side of the road when the, when the van flipped and, when he was at a show and when good things were happening and bad things were happening and the band was on the verge of massive success. And when the band was like in a rut and I just really loved that part. And I loved being in the middle of all that. And um, so that's kind of how it all began. And, and once that kind of got started, um, I, you know, my, my 
apathy towards college increased. And so then all I was doing was playing drums in a band, you know, basically getting through my undergrad and working at this label. And uh, a year after working at the label, the label was acquired by this regional distributor um, who I then went to work for. And um, that was my the beginning of my career in distribution. Woo! What a saga. Yeah, what a journey, yeah. man. That's Sex, awesome. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, and this was like 19 to 21, you know? You know, I didn't. So I, I didn't realize. Sorry, Liz. I I didn't realize that uh, you and Mike went back so far. Yep. That's that's he's, awesome he's, because uh, you know, obviously, like at Promark, you know, we've we've not gotten close, but become you know whatever was between acquaintances and friends over the last couple of years. Um, he's a really really yeah. good dude. He's amazing, and uh, he he's a, a decade older than me, and. I've, I've always used Mike as a reference point of what a real musician's life is like. Uh, you know, he's somebody who went to North Texas State and got a serious music uh, background and education mm-hmm. and, um, and then started touring as a teenager and has been a touring drummer his entire life um, and has never worked a job. Yeah. And I saw how hard that was and you know, the, the year, the first decade that I knew him, you know, he was, he was scraping by, um, as was his band and they were touring in a band with dogs and, you know, just like barely getting by. And then I saw him, um, you know, that band got, got, that band broke up and he was ready to move on to a new group and he got off drugs and I saw him go deeper and deeper into studying percussion and, and practicing and becoming, a, you know, a first call touring percussionist with, you know, the likes of Tori Amos and Primus and um, Ricky Lee Jones. And, you know, I've watched him, how hard he's worked and the years that I know he's made really good money and and years after that where I know that he didn't and watching that. And I've used that as a reference point as I work with other artists to, to kind of create a North Star as to what it looks like if you want to be a serious touring musician and the sacrifices you have to make. And, um, so yeah, Mike's always been this like really interesting part of my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really grateful to have met him when I did. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, he's family. So if you're using that as your reference point, like what are maybe two or three things that you feel are a part of the equation to make it truly like a touring musician's career. What do you think are like qualify you for that kind of status? I think the number one thing is dedicating yourself to being a musician and, and, you know, or, or just living as a musician. And it can't be this thing that it can't be a part-time job. It's not something you do at night. You have to live it and decide that come hell or high water, you are going to play music that day and you are going to get in the van and go to the next show. And whether you're making 50 bucks because you're starting a new band or you're making a thousand dollars playing as a side person that day, you are going to get a gig. And so that I think that that dedication to doing that is, and, and I think it has to go beyond the word dedication, which, which I think suggests kind of a, 
uh, a commitment to something other than you. I think it is being a a musician and identifying as that and that as that only and that as first and foremost of your creative and occupational output for better or worse. And, you know, there's not a lot of people who do that. And I think that your likelihood of succeeding in some sense, if you are at least somewhat gifted, um, is pretty high, I think, if you are like, I'm going to play music that day, even if it means sleeping on a floor, even if it means being really broke by all uh, objective financial standards, I'm going to play music today, and you practice, and you work at it, I think that, I think that, you know, a great deal of people, were they to be that committed, would be successful in, in some manner. Um, so I think that that's the number one thing is just doing it and it's not stopping. Um, I think that figuring out how to, how to, uh, navigate the, the many different roads in which you can be a musician. Um, that, that's another thing in the sense that there are, there are people who play music every day, but they are studio musicians. And they do not enjoy playing music on the road or being away from home or whatever. And that's, that's fine as well. That's and some people, um, you know, there, there's so many different paths, um, whether you're, you know, playing original music or you're, um, you're, you know, you're a jazz drummer and you're playing standards or you're, um, you're composing for film or TV or doing score work or, you know, there's so many paths now. Um, you know, as a as a rapper or a producer, or you know, you can go in so many different directions, and that, that you can find the right lifestyle for you. Um, some people just really enjoy being in the studio and being inside, and I think someone like Mike, uh, who has made a lot of records, but making records is not the forefront of his uh, his joy. His joy is playing live and playing with people in a improvisational setting. Um, you know, that's what he chose, but, you know, I think picking that route, that route and, uh, I, you know, identifying, um, who you are as a person and how you like to live and in what environments is, is the second part of that. And then I think as you go, you can figure out little themes of the world, um, where, you know, if you happen to be one of the, if you happen to be someone like a Ennio any, any Morricone or like someone who is found their way into film composition and you become incredible at that um that is an amazing way of making a living and a great way of life where you can have a family and you can live in a house and not be sleeping on the floor of a van and like you know that's a great way of of, of uh you know building a, a career as a musician oh you touched on so many good stuff there um you said something I think that maybe we've, we've circled around a couple of times on this pod so far, but like really finding the self-awareness to figure out how you want to live your day to day as being a central kind of motivator. Um, and, and relative to something you said a while ago, I wanted to follow up. So you mentioned that your, your high school band director saw you as someone who could work within the music business. And even at that age, you kind of identified that path as a, a possibility for you. I'm really yeah. curious what you thought 
and maybe what he thought that looked like and what he meant by the music business realm. Yeah. Well, I've always hoped that he he didn't mean that I was just not that great of a drummer and he was trying to encourage me to do something. Else. <laughs> That's always been my hope. But um you know, <laughs> let's I, go with I that. think I Yeah, let's go with that. Um you know, I've always been interested in organization of people and projects and um business has always been something that comes fairly naturally to me and um and politics and the kind of influencing of people and so you know i think as a you know i was section leader in my percussion line and putting together bands and publicizing them and maneuvering my way through school politics and student council and stuff like that i don't know i think he saw me as someone who could who could um play the music industry game as it as it is and um you know i'm like uh i have like an 80 year old jewish man that's always been trapped inside my body regardless of my age and you know i think that there's an element <laughs> of just the the wheeling and dealing of kind of the old Hollywood music industry model that is like those are my heroes and always have been and so I think you just saw that in me you know and um, I don't know um, but it worked yeah you know that's amazing and, just, and shout out to like the music educators out there because I I think the one thing that you said earlier that that really was is true for a lot of folks that do music as part of their scholastic process um, is that, you know, where, whereas you, you might only have your English teacher for one semester, or you might only have your science teacher for a quarter or whatever the case may be. Your, your music teachers tend to stick with you for semesters and years. And so I think it's really insightful that, that, that teacher because of the length of time that they spent with you and got to know you and learned what you were good at and what your weaknesses were, that they were so willing to, to step up and say, I think you might have a career in this because, and I think that's only possible when you spend that amount of time together on that many projects, you know, you know, creating music, whatever. Yeah. And, do, and during very formative years, you know, he, he just so happened to, he moved it from as a job from my middle school to my high school at the exact same time as me, just as his career developed. And so, you know, seeing somebody through ages 13 through 18 is incredibly formative. You know, 13-year-olds are, are pretty young and are, are, are clay-like. And by the time you're 18, you're pretty headstrong. And, you know, at least I was. And... So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine where I would be if I hadn't met W. Raper Johnson, um, who's still alive and kicking and playing music. And, uh, you know, he was uh, he just he he wasn't is just an absolutely incredible man that, um, you know, that that set me up for a, a life. That's awesome. Amen. That's awesome. So, Nick, I have one one more like question about your your career um you currently serve as the chief client officer and general manager of the new york office for symphonic and i'm curious to know like what is that role and what's like (laughs) as best you can what's the day-to-day 
Pre-corona. Uh, so I, I <laughs> yeah, pre-corona. Um, so I work for a, a boutique uh, music distributor and marketing company, and my job is to I manage all of the people who sign artists and labels to our company, and um, and I oversee the our client experience in general. Um, so so my job, a lot of it is um, strategy as well as uh, it's a little bit of everything. It's, it's creative in the sense that we're creating strategies for signing record labels and artists and figuring out who we want to sign and what kind of the uh, profile of a company or an artist that we're interested in working with. Um, planning and budgeting around how much we can invest in those projects and managing people and managing an office and then helping the company on an executive level um, figure out its corporate strategy um, and how to move and groove within the music industry. And so I'm doing a job now that I've actually done before. I did this job at another distributor called The Orchard for many years. And um, so it's the first job that I've ever done that I've done before, and uh, which is kind of cool. And um, I'm also kind of the um, one of the the core veterans of the group. Um, and I work for this amazing guy who started the company when he was 21 and uh, has never had any other job. And so um, I, I'm i paid to to tell him what I've learned at other companies and so that he can, he can hear how other companies have done the things that he's wanting to do. And he can either take or leave sort of the, the history lessons that other companies have paid me to learn um, or paid for the for the mistakes that I've made. Um, so it, it's a it's pretty interesting um, job dichotomy, but it, it's great and I love it. And uh, my day to day is uh, is it's a pretty sweet job. Um, I work with people I really like, and um, I get to talk to artists and record labels, and I solve problems both small and large, and I have to find the marriage of art and commerce and try to figure out how much money is possible uh, for music to generate and um, which is uh, is an art form in itself and so it's a good kind of left brain right brain job um, which uh, which really appeals to me because I'm very much left brain right brain fantastic oh it sounds it sounds wonderful to be relied on for advice on a day-to-day basis too i imagine that feels pretty good and to put that experience name yeah man well on that same note we're going to ask you one final thing uh on that same theme so if you could hearken back to either 15 year old nick gordon or you know anyone starting out early in this trajectory what one piece of advice would you give them to uh to have their best chance of success uh, well, well, I think you touched upon it earlier. I think that the, the, the key to life is figuring out what lifestyle you want to live. And I think that um, part of what has, has led to me doing the job that I've done um, is that I've done a bunch of other jobs that exist within the music industry inside of my other jobs. So I've seen a lot of different potential gigs and lifestyles and I like this one a lot um, so I think doing a bunch of internships and really learning what all the jobs that you might be interested in doing are like 
is super important. And then you can choose um, based on the part of the business that is both attractive to you, but also is one that is a growing or thriving part of the business. Um, and so I, I think that, that that's it. I think demystifying work is something that I've always really focused on. And really looking at, at what jobs are and figuring out what the tasks of that job are and determining if that's what you want to do every day. And um, there and there's another element of it that is also at play in that um, figuring out the job you want to do and then being becoming the person who does that job is something that is a quote that is not mine that I've always thought about because I, I do believe in uh, the lifestyle of jobs and careers, whether you are a mailman, um, you're a music distributor, you're a mechanical engineer, you're a, you know, you're a clarinetist, you're a band director, you're a, a carpenter. There are, there's a lifestyle attached to that. There is a set of, there's lingo, there is, there are, there are costumes. And I love all that stuff. And um, so I think that for me, um, you know, the advice that I've constantly allowed myself to take is that um, I've always wanted to live a, a very juicy life. And um, I picked a job that allows me to do that. And as I've gotten more and more comfortable in my own skin, I have learned that I can, I can, I can spread out and, and I can integrate fashion and style and um, travel and photography and playing music, all those things I can integrate into my, into my career. And so it's allowed me to do, to be the person that I want to be um, every single day and to get paid to do it, which is there's no better life. Deeply well said. Yeah. Lots of good shit there. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I wish someone said that shit to me when I was like 18. Seriously. <sighs> Seriously. I, I'm actually <laughs> at the age of 28. I'm sitting here going, yeah, that's good advice. I should take that. <laughs> it's the stuff that you never learn about, you know? Yeah. I think that there's one really interesting thing that's coming out of our economy now is I think we're experiencing the the death of the liberal arts education track as like the primary track that people take as far as um, secondary education and that kind of thing. You know, I think we're be, we're we're re, we're reentering a trade type of lifestyle, um, and I think that that's really cool. You know, I really I really nerd out on super uh, focused jobs. Like when I go to the cobbler. I think the cobbler is so cool. Like somebody who focuses on shoes every day, that is what they do. They apprentice. They are a cobbler. I think that is so awesome. And I, you know, I think that that, that focus and figuring that out and just buying into it and becoming that person is awesome. Like learning about leather and being a leather expert and figuring out how to fix leather and, you know, source leather and all that stuff. I think that that is so cool. Yeah. Amen. Uh, like 22 year old me was definitely going to be a hairdresser about, I mean, I still would at this point, but 
being able to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's still time. Coming out to paint care for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is time for our favorite segment, which is also the only segment we've named. Uh, It's really our only segment. It's actually our only segment. We (laughs) talk about whatever the hell we want and then somehow wrap around to this. So, Nick, put you a little bit on the spot here. Yeah. We like to play a game called iPhone Roulette. Um, If you don't have an iPhone, we'll let you slide with an Android, but um, I assume you have an iPhone because you're blue. I do, in fact, have an iPhone. And the name of the game is to put your um, Apple Music or Spotify or whatever platform you use on shuffle and then recite the first five songs that come up, title, artist, and why it's in your life. Easy enough? Okay. Um, so I'm going to go to what my like liked songs or something? Yeah. Um, or if you have a playlist, that works too. And you can either right. start or you can defer and one of us will start so you can... We can be embarrassed. For All sure. right. Yeah. Um... So these are in, in no particular order. Um, there is a the band, the incredible Minneapolis band, The Time, and the track is called The Stick, which is an amazing track that is a part of my DJ set every time. It is the epitome of Minneapolis glam funk. Nice. Um, nice. N- next, I have an artist called uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto. Um, who, if you don't know about him, is an amazing modern composer. Um, then I have uh, a track called Berserk, uh, featuring ASAP Ferg by Big Sean, Hitboy, and ASAP Ferg. Um, I have a track uh, from the, uh, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, called One Step Ahead, the mono version. Um, oh, nice. And, yes, and uh, the next track is the Spencer Davis's group, uh, the Spencer Davis group's "I'm a Man." Um, and was that five or four? That was five. I'm curious to know why uh, the you said the second one was the uh, composer. I'm curious to know why that's in your life. Yes, uh, it's in my life because we work with him actually. Oh. Um, my my uh, my coworker Jacob Alexander, who's one of my Sorry, my Spotify just kicked on. That was the mamas and the papas. Um, oh, uh, my, great. my coworker and one of my favorite A&R guys, uh, Jacob Alexander, signed um, some of the back catalog from Sakamoto. Um, and uh, so he's someone that I did not know before um, Jacob uh, brought him on, and I've fallen in love with his work. Amazing. Tremendous. LBC. Alrighty, alrighty. Let's see where we go with this. All right. Ah, my first one up is Coffee Spoon by Cold War Kids. Um, and Cold War Kids, I really like. I have to say though, I they're one of the few artists that I actually really like hearing recorded more than I do live. 
and I'll leave it at that. But I really love their sound. <laughs> I like what they've done. Um, and Coffee Spoon in particular, it's a, it's a good song. It's a fun song. Um, next up is an Irish band that I really love called Imar, um, a song called The Third Attempt. Um, Imar is super lit, and I, I got a chance to see them live in the States. They barely ever come over to the U.S. Um, but actually, like, just about exactly a year ago, I took a trip to Colorado with some friends, specifically because Imar was in the U.S. and going to play. And we were like, fuck it, let's go to Denver. So we did. And seeing them live was deeply wonderful. And they're very energetic. And they're 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 kind of like, they have like this Irish folksy Baxter Boyd vibe. Um in that they are all very nice to look at and really stick at their instruments. Not that that's a Backstreet Boys thing. I take that part now. But they're really good at what they do and, and they're really fun and I'm glad to see that they they have a lot of uh, touring momentum behind them. So the next time they come northeast we'll, we'll make sure to mention it here. They're great. Um, oh, okay. Um, another sort of more folky vibe. Uh, Sarah Jarose, who is a very talented singer-songwriter. She actually has an album coming up pretty soon I think in June um, but this is from her album Build Me Up From Bones the song called Rearrange the Art and she she plays a whole bunch of different instruments she's a really beautiful singer and she's part of this new class of uh, singer-songwriters in the the new grass kind of realm who um, who were really nurtured by the generation of like maybe older millennials that kind of paves the way coming out of Berkeley in the Northeast. So she's been this, this like part of the second generation that's, that's coming up and is also a member of the, the girl trio I'm with her with um, Aoife O'Donovan and um, Sarah Watkins. So super wonderful, beautiful voice, super ethereal and gotta be another way by <laughs> nowhere. This is a song that I qualify as anxiety pop, and it is really stressful to listen to, but really wonderful. Last up is, oh, okay, very relevant to what I was talking about before. So Crooked Still, um, a song called New Railroad from their album Shaken by a Low Sound. So I, I remember, like, where I was in the room that I was standing in when I heard Crooked Still for the first time. They are, um, they are a bluegrass band that from that same population of the, the sort of Northeast, like um, older millennial Berkeley crowd, they were um, really one of the first groups to, to make their name with a cello and kind of like go places led by uh, Ifo Donovan and their original cellist, um, whose name is escaping me. Oh my gosh. Oh, it'll come to me. But, um, but they have this wonderful sound that is so cohesive and so, sort of innovative sounding despite the fact that they're playing the instruments that you know we all know to be a part of the bluegrass world and their their singer in particular Aoife is so 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 clear and beautiful and simple sounding um I I think she is a big part of why I love them but it was also just fucking rad to have a cello be a part of a bluegrass band so like orchestra nerdy geek me was like this is a thing that I want to do someday and eventually learned how like years later but they, they meant a lot to me. So wonderful to, to close with them. Go team. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to pick up right where you left off uh, because my first tune is Wasn't I Paying Attention by Amanda Shires. 
Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, singer-songwriter and fiddle player um, has a trio called The High Women, I think. Brandy Carlisle, Marin Morris, um, Natalie Hemby. So it's uh, – this is in my life because Jeff, my boss, was like, hey, listen to this. That's the <laughs> – that's the whole story. Um, <laughs> like a good, good taste. <laughs> uh, okay. Next is good spirit, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Saturday night. Earth, Wind, and Fire, little yes. fact. First concert ever. Earth, Wind, mm-hmm. and Fire. Yeah. Went with my parents when I was Nick, what was your first concert? Young. Prince. Oh. Oh, gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Mine was Sting. I was 13. These oh, are all really good wow. Ones, good. This is good. These are really good ones. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I think I think very that... fitting for your your Minnesota that uh that yours is Prince next. Yes. Yes. Not only was it Prince, but um I walked in the door of the concert when I and again this is another thing that happened to me when I was 11. Um a critical year. And um as I walked in, Sheila E was ripping into a drum solo. And I had never seen a female drummer before. I had never seen a drum solo like that before. Um, It was my first concert. And I still remember the sound of my brain exploding. And so much (laughs) of what I saw that night has, like, formed my musical listening uh, experience. Gorgeous. Wow. What a wonderful piece of mythology. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Third on the list, we've got, which this is like the second time Jaden Smith has come up as well, uh, but got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not sure that I've listened to, I, you know, my, my thing, if you listen to this podcast is I, I just, I download albums a lot and try to actually consume the entire album. Um, I think I've listened to this album one time. I couldn't name a single song on it, but that, that just came up. Um, oh. You mean you download the you download the the album like the MP3s to your phone? I I add it to because I use I, I use um, Apple Music, um, and so on yeah. Apple Music you can add it to your like whatever your profile or whatever it's called on Apple Music, um, but you can also download, which basically makes it available offline. Um, so. Got it. I tend to add things, but then if I like it, I'll download it so that because I'm on planes a lot. Um, so it's mm-hmm. nice to mm-hmm. nice to be able to listen to music uh, <laughs> offline. That makes sense. Number four is uh, an amazing percussion trio uh, called Square Peg Round Hole. Um, super, super good friends as well. And, and, their song "Name Not One Man" from their record Juniper. Um, Liz, did you go see Square Peg with me? I did. Okay. I did yeah, at National Status. That yeah. show was sick. Yeah, they're uh, they're a blast. Um, kind of in the sort of electronic world, they've they've taken like classical percussion instruments, vibraphone, um, drums, a plenty, uh, as well as like keyboards, Rhodes, and and all that stuff and, and turned it into something really, really interesting. That's, that's kind of outside of the like chamber percussion space. So I really enjoy them. And finally, I love you, Dwayne, Lil Wayne. (laughs) 
from the Carter Five. I don't know if I need to explain why that's in my life because it's a great album. Fair enough. Wow, good round. Well, thanks. That was a really good round. I think very fitting of the personalities involved, too. I like it. I like it. Right. Well, Nick, thank you so much for hanging with us today. And good luck upstate, my friend. Hoping you. you, uh, Pleasure. Yeah, hoping your home reno is successful and exhilarating. And uh, I want to see some before and after pictures. It's going to get me through the day. So, yeah. Yeah, come up for a barbecue. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward <laughs> to the easy. end of social distancing, specifically to go hang at the Upstate Mod House. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You guys remember going places? What a what a thing that was. What a world. I'm starting to forget. To yeah, be honest, really but it's gonna remember. feel so good. <laughs> oh, okay, before we get stuck in that rabbit hole, <laughs> this has been. Kyle and Liz and our friend Nick Gordon. Thank you again. Uh, And we hope that you are all staying healthy and happy and engaged and sane and wonderful out there in outer space. And uh, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard today and maybe want to hear some more, hit the like and subscribe button. We deeply love each and every one of you. And we look forward to getting back to you someday soon. Goodbye.